Chapter One of Freaks on the Fells Three Months Rustication Story Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. Freaks on the Fells Three Months Rustication Story Three by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter One Papers from Norway. Norway, second July, eighteen sixty eight happening to be in norway just now and believing that young people feel an interest in the land of the old sea kings i send you a short account of my experiences up to this date i verily believe that there is nothing in the wide world comparable to this island coast of norway at this moment we are steaming through a region which the fairies might rejoice to inhabit indeed the fact that there are no fairies here goes far to prove that there are none anywhere what a thought no fairies why all the romance of childhood would be swept away at one fell blow if i were to admit the idea that there are no fairies perish the matter-of-fact thought let me rather conclude that for some weighty though unknown reason the fairies have resolved to leave this island world uninhabited fortune favours me i have just come on deck after two days voyage across the german ocean to find myself in the midst of innumerable islands a dead calm so dead that it seems impossible that it should ever come alive again and scenery so wild so gorgeous that one ceases to wonder where the vikings of old got their fire their romance their enterprise and their indomitable pluck it is warm too and brilliantly sunny on gazing at these tall grey rocks with the bright green patches here and there and an occasional red-tiled hut one almost expects to see a fleet of daring rovers dash out of a sequestered bay with their long yellow hair and big blue eyes and broad shoulders not to mention broadswords and ring-mail and battle-axes but one does not always see what one expects the days of the sea-kings are gone by and at this moment rowing out of one of these same sequestered bays comes the boat of a custom-house officer yes there is no doubt whatever about it there he comes a plain-looking unromantic man in a foraging cap with a blue surtout and brass buttons about as like to a sea-king as a man-of-war is to a muffin of course the scenery is indescribable no scenery is describable in order that my reader may judge of the truth of this statement i append the following description there are islands round us of every shape and size all of them more or less barren the greater part of their surfaces being exposed grey rock here and there may be seen as i have already hinted small patches of bright green and sparsely scattered everywhere are little red-roofed wooden cottages poor enough things most of them others gaudy-looking affairs with gable ends white faces and windows bordered with green all of these are while i write reflected in the water as in a mirror for there is not a breath of wind over the islands on my left are seen more islands extending out to sea on the right tower up the blue hills of the interior of old norway and although the weather is excessively hot many of these are covered with snow everything is light and transparent and thin and blue and glassy and fairy-like and magically beautiful and altogether delightful there have you made much of all that good reader if you have be thankful for as i set out by saying description of scenery at least to any good purpose is impossible the description of a man however is quite another thing here is our pilot he is a rugged man with fair hair and a yellow face and a clay-coloured chin and a red nose he is small in stature and thin insignificant in appearance deeply miserable in aspect 
his garments are black glazed oiled cloth from head to foot and immensely too large for him especially the waistcoat which is double-breasted and seems to feel that his trousers are not a sufficient covering for such a pair of brittle-looking legs for it extends at least halfway down to his knees the flap of his sou'wester also comes halfway down his back he is a wonderful object to look upon yet he has the audacity so it seems to me to take us in charge and our captain has the foolhardiness to allow him if one goes out of the beaten tracks of routes in norway one is apt to get into difficulties of a minor kind i happen to be travelling just now with a party of four friends of whom three are ladies the fourth a jolly young fellow fresh from college a few days ago we had a few unusual experiences even for norway on leaving bergen we had made up our minds as the steamer did not sail to within about sixty miles of our destination to get ourselves and our luggage put down at a small hamlet at the mouth of the nordfjord and there engage two large boats to transport us the remaining sixty miles up the fjord the ladies of our party valorously resolved to set up all night to see the magnificent island scenery through which we were passing under the influence of the charming and subdued daylight of midnight for there is no night here just now as for myself being an old traveller i have become aware that sleep is essential to a comfortable and useful existence i therefore bade my friends good-night took a farewell look at the bright sky and the islands and the sleeping sea and went below to bed next day we spent steaming along the island coast at one o'clock on the following morning we reached moldeoen where the steamer landed us on a rock on which were a few acres of grass and half a dozen wooden houses we had a good deal of luggage with us also some casks cases and barrels of provisions and a pianoforte as our place of sojourn is somewhat out of the way and far removed from civilized markets a few poverty-stricken natives stood on the rude stone pier as we landed and slowly assisted us to unload at the time i conceived that the idiotical expression of their countenances was the result of being roused at untimely hours but our subsequent experience led me to change my mind in regard to this in half an hour the steamer puffed away into the mysterious depths of one of the dark blue fjords and we were left on a desolate island like robinson crusoe with our worldly goods around us most of the natives we found so stupid that they could not understand our excellent norse one fellow in particular might as well have been a piece of mahogany as a man he stood looking at me with stolid imbecility while i was talking to him and made no reply when i had done in fact the motion of his eyes as he looked at me alone betrayed the fact that he was flesh and blood we soon found that two boats were not to be had that almost all the men of the place were away deep-sea fishing and would not be back for many hours and that when they did come back they would be so tired as to require at least half a day's rest ere they could undertake so long a journey with us however they sent a man off in a boat to search for as many boatmen as could be found he was away an hour during this period the few inhabitants who had turned out to see the steamer disappeared and we were left alone on the beach there was no inn here no one cared for us every place seemed dirty with the exception of one house which had a very lonely and deserted aspect so we did not venture to disturb it in the course of time the messenger returned no men were to be found except three this was not a sufficient crew for even one large boat we required two a feeling that we were homeless wanderers came over us now and each seating himself or herself on a box or a portmanteau began to meditate seeing this the three men coolly lay down to rest in the bow of their boat 
and drawing a sail over them, were quickly sound asleep. The act suggested the idea that we could not do better, so we placed two portmanteaus end to end, and thus made a couch about six feet long. A box, somewhat higher, placed at one end, served for a pillow, and on this one of the ladies lay down, flat on her back of course, that being the only possible position under the circumstances. A shawl was thrown over her, and she went to sleep like an effigy on a tombstone. Another of the ladies tried a similar couch, but as boxes of equal height could not be found, her position was not enviable. The third lady preferred an uneasy posture among the ribs and cordage of the boat, and I lay down on the paving stones of the quay, having found from experience that, in the matter of beds, flatness is the most indispensable of qualities, while hardness is not so awful as one might suppose. Where my comrade the collegian went to, I know not. Presently one of the ladies got up and said that this would never do, that the next day was Sunday, and that we were in duty bound to do our best to reach the end of our journey on Saturday night. Thus admonished, my comrade and I started up and resolved to become men, that is, to act as boatmen. No sooner said than done. We roused the three sleepers, embarked the most important half of our luggage, left the other half in charge of the native with the idiotic countenance, with directions to take care of it and have it forwarded as soon as possible, and, at a little after two in the morning, pulled vigorously away from the inhospitable shores of Modeoen. We started on our sixty miles journey hopefully, and went on our way for an hour or so with spirit, but when two hours had elapsed, my companion and I began to feel the effects of rowing with unaccustomed muscles rather severely, and gazed with envy at the three ladies who lay coiled up in an indescribable heap of shawls and crinolines in the stern of the boat, sound asleep. They needed sleep, poor things, not having rested for two days and two nights. But my poor friend was more to be pitied than they. Having scorned to follow my example and take rest when he could get the chance, he now found himself unexpectedly called on to do the work of a man when he could not keep his eyes open. When our third hour began, I saw that he was fast asleep at the oar, lifting it indeed and dipping it in proper time, but without pulling the weight of an ounce upon it. I therefore took it from him, and told him to take half an hour's nap, when I would wake him up, and expect him to take the oars and give me a rest. On being relieved, he dropped his head on a sugar cask, and was sound asleep in two minutes. I now felt drearily dismal. I began to realize the fact that we had actually pledged ourselves to work without intermission for the next eighteen or twenty hours, of which two only had run, and I felt sensations akin to what must have been those of the galley-slaves of old. In the midst of many deep thoughts and cogitations, during that silent morning hour, when all were asleep around me save the three mechanical-looking boatmen, and when the only sounds that met my ears were the dip of the oars and the deep breathing, to give it no other name, of the slumberers, in the midst of many deep thoughts, I say I came to the conclusion that in my present circumstances the worst thing I could do was to think. I remembered the fable of the pendulum that became so horrified at the thought of the number of ticks it had to perform in a lengthened period of time that it stopped in despair, and I determined to shut down my intellect. Soon after, my shoulders began to ache, and in process of time I felt a sensation about the small of my back that induced the alarming belief that the spinal marrow was boiling. Presently my wrists became cramped, and I felt a strong inclination to pitch the oars overboard, lie down in the bottom of the boat, and howl. But feeling that this would be unmanly, I restrained myself. Just then my companion in sorrow began to snore, so I awoke him, and, giving him the oars, went to sleep. 
from this period everything in the history of that remarkable day became unconnected hazy and confusing i became to some extent mechanical in my thoughts and actions i rode and rested and rode again i ate and sang and even laughed my comrade did the same like a true briton for he was game to the backbone but the one great grand never-changing idea in the day was pull 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 we had hoped during the course of that day to procure assistance but we were unsuccessful we passed a number of fishermen's huts but none of the men would consent to embark with us at last late that night we reached a small farm about two-thirds of the way of the fjord where we succeeded in procuring another large boat with a crew of five men here also we obtained a cup of coffee and while we were awaiting the arrival of the boat i lay down on the pier and had a short nap none but those who have toiled for it can fully appreciate the blessings of repose it was a clear calm night when we resumed our boat journey the soft daylight threw a species of magical effect over the great mountains and the glassy fjord as we rowed away with steady and vigorous strokes and i lay down in the bow of the boat to sleep the end of the mast squeezed my shoulder the edge of a cask of beef well nigh stove in my ribs the corner of a box bored a hole in the nape of my neck yet i went off like one of the famed seven sleepers and my friend though stretched out beside me in similarly unpropitious circumstances began to snore in less than five minutes after he had laid down the last sounds i heard before falling into a state of oblivion were the voices of our fair companions joining in that most beautiful of our sacred melodies the evening hymn ere they lay down to rest in the stern of the boat next morning at nine we arrived at the top of the fjord and at the end for a time at least of our journeying end of chapter one